Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. Today, in an attempt to help us all understand it and maybe even experience the power of resurrection, we're going to be walking through the Easter story according to the Gospel of Luke to see just how big resurrection really is. But of course, to experience the power and the beauty of what resurrection is, we first have to examine the horror of the cross. So Luke says this in twenty three twenty six. As they led Jesus away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country. And they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals. One on his right and one on his left. Or as Luke tells the story, after Jesus was arrested the night before. He then spends the next 12 hours being beaten, mocked, put on trial three different times until finally Pilate, the Roman governor, not because he was convinced that Jesus deserved to die, but to keep the peace, sentences Jesus to death. So around six in the morning, Jesus was led out to the place of the school along with two other bandits where Jesus was nailed to a tree for all to see. Because remember, crucifixion wasn't just about executing one person. But it was about killing a person in the most horrible and embarrassing way possible as this kind of living billboard. So that everyone else who walks by, everyone else who sees him will be reminded that this is what happens if you dare question or challenge the status quo. And the way the one died on the cross was not something that happened quickly as a person bled out. But instead, it was this excruciating process that, that maybe took a couple hours and possibly even a couple of days where one actually drowns in their own bodily fluids. Or after one was nailed to the cross through their forearms and their feet, they would hang in such a way that it made it very hard for them to breathe. So to get a breath, they would have to pull up on the nails in their hands while pushing up on the nails in their feet just to get to a place where they could breathe, <gasps> only to fall back down again as the pain got to be too much. Or if what you picture when you picture Jesus hanging on the cross is Jesus hanging there still, then you miss the most miserable, gut-wrenching, painful part of this process. The up and down struggle of the crucified striving to breathe. Which is the reality that tells us that Jesus suffered from six in the morning until three in the afternoon. Or for nine hours. This is the truth that Jesus endured. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, crying out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last Jesus is now dead. 
Now, while keeping in mind the horror of the crucifixion, what I want us to do now is I want us to turn our attention to the disciples, people we don't oftentimes think about in this story. Because at this point, even though Jesus has told them on three different occasions that, that he would die and then rise again, they still didn't get it. They still didn't understand. And the last time we heard anything about the disciples is that as the authorities are coming out to arrest Jesus, we find the disciples not standing up and fighting for Jesus as they said they would just a couple hours before. I mean, every single disciple said, I'm willing to die with you, Jesus. But when that moment happens, when Jesus is in his greatest need, what do they do? They run for their own lives. Eventually ending up in some secret location in Jerusalem, bunkered down, not going anywhere because they don't want to end up like Jesus. They don't want to end up crucified as Jesus was crucified. Which then is a situation that only made worse, not only their guilt of abandoning this man that they said they would follow forever, but the next day they, they hear the news that Jesus was actually killed. They actually took this man and put him up on the cross for all to see. Executed as an insurrectionist. Now, the place I imagine the disciples to be after they get this news is one of absolute devastation. And that this man that they believe to be the Messiah, the son of the living God who was supposed to change everything, is now dead. He's dead. So not only is their friend, their mentor, and their rabbi dead, but now so are all of their hopes and dreams. Which I'm sure sent them kind of in this tailspin where they're questioning everything about everything. Because that's what you do in a place like that. Like... Were we just being duped by Jesus the entire time? How could a man who healed the sick, fed 5,000, raised people from the dead, end up on a cross? Did we just waste the last three years of our life? And now, what in God's name are we supposed to do with ourselves? Are we just supposed to put our tail between our legs and go back to life the way it was before Jesus? We left everything for this man in God's kingdom, and now it's over? I mean, how is this even possible? And then in even deeper ways, I bet they were asking questions like this. Is this the way life really works? Good people suffer and die for doing good things? Is there really no hope that this world is ever going to change? Is this all we get? A couple of miserable moments under the sun and then we die. Does God even care? Does God even exist? Because at this point, it sure seems that if there was a God and he was good at all, he wouldn't let something as horrible as this happen. But he did. Or but it did. So what does it all mean? Now, what I want you to notice about this place where the disciples find themselves is that this is a place we also know pretty well ourselves. Now, of course, we don't know what it's like to lose a friend and all our hopes and dreams to the cross, but to varying degrees, we know this place. Because this place happens when, after years of trying to make a relationship work, the divorce papers show up or someone just leaves. It happens after the loss of a job and that all of our safety and security has been taken from us in a moment's notice and we have no idea what to do next. It happens when that mental darkness begins to creep into our life as the depression starts to take over again, robbing us of all of our ambition and hope and purpose in life. It happens after being clean and sober for a year 
in a moment of weakness giving in and we don't stop until the addiction has taken control. It happens when we are sitting in the doctor's office and she speaks those words we thought we'd never hear. I'm sorry, but it's cancer. I'm sorry, but you need open heart surgery. I'm sorry there's nothing more that we can do. It happens as kids are being kids and someone ends up getting shot. It happens when we get that unexpected phone call, text telling us that our loved one is dead. And it happens when we say no, but it doesn't stop. And then on an even bigger scale, it happens as the world and our lives begin to shut down because there's this virus running rampant, killing people. It happens when we turn on the news and find out that Russia has invaded Ukraine and the U.S. is getting involved. It happens when we turn on the evening news or look at our news feed only to see more violence, more political divide, more poverty, more disease, more hatred, more hunger, and even more death. Or we know that place where the disciples find themselves after Jesus' death. But here's the amazing thing about that place. The story doesn't end here. Or it doesn't end in that place of dark desperation where all hope is lost. No, it is into that place. It is into that darkness where this happens. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them, and the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Or as these women show up to this tomb on Sunday morning, not expecting life, but death. What they find as they enter that tomb is God's answer to that place. And what God's answer to that place is, is resurrection. And what resurrection proclaimed to them in that moment is that the Jewish leaders in Rome didn't have the last word. It proclaims that the disciples didn't waste three years of their lives following Jesus, but are actually a part of something so big, it's going to change the world forever. It proclaims that God didn't leave them or forsake them, but was with them the entire time doing something so big they had to experience it firsthand to get it. Or what we find God shouting to the world through the resurrection is that it doesn't matter how dark or scary the world may get. It doesn't matter how much hope seems to be lost because when all is said and done, the resurrection proclaims that our God gets the last word. Come on now. Our God wins. That's what the resurrection proclaims. So what that means for us today is that not only does our God, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, offer us the gift of salvation and eternal life if we'll just say yes to Jesus, but it also means that divorce, failure, depression, loneliness, betrayal, cancer, disease, violence, is not the last word for us. Because like the disciples experienced through the resurrection, that place of darkness and misery and hopelessness is not where our journey ends. Because if God can take something as horrible and evil as the cross, 
and use that to save the world? I'm pretty sure God can take whatever it is that you're facing and bring light and hope and resurrection. And maybe what that looks like for you is finding love beyond divorce. It's getting a job that was better than the one that you had. Learning what you need to learn. It's freedom from your addictions and mental illness. It's a cure to to that disease or sickness. It's learning to walk again. It's figuring out how to find joy and purpose without your loved one by your side. Or even in the face of death, it's finding that you will actually live on forever in the presence of our God of resurrection as God speaks the final word in your life. Or what I want you to understand about resurrection is that resurrection was not just the greatest single event that happened in the history of the world, although it was that, where our God did the impossible by raising his son Jesus from the dead. But it's also the case that that same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is still at work in our lives and in the world, so that no matter what we face, no matter what we come against, resurrection proclaims that God has the last word. And what that means is that there's always light at the end of the tunnel. You guys just sit there. Are you kidding me? There's always light at the end of the tunnel. There's always hope. It doesn't matter what we come against. What the resurrection proclaims is that at all times and in all places, God has the last word. Now, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect and nothing is ever going to happen to you. That doesn't work. But what it does mean is God meets you in those places and takes that and brings life and healing and hope and can even use that to help others. Or resurrection was not just a one-time event where Jesus was raised from the dead. No, resurrection is something that continues to happen every time God shows up in those places of sin, darkness, and death, bringing about forgiveness and healing and life. Or that, my friends, is how big resurrection really is. And that's the good news. We need to tell to a world who is in the midst of death and suffering. That's the good news we've got to hold on to no matter what we're facing in life. That's resurrection. And I don't know about you guys, but man, that gives me hope. Man, that gives me life. Man, that gives me a reason to get out of bed in the morning and tell others about just how incredible our God is. Let us pray. (sighs) Father, it's Easter Sunday morning, and Easter's just this amazing moment. But today, help us not just to understand or think about Jesus raising from the dead, although that's important and foundational. Help us to get that resurrection is bigger than just that, that you are a God of resurrection. That in all those places in our lives, in all those places in the world, you are at work taking all of that death, destruction, and evil that we cause, and you're bringing life, and you're being healing, and you're bringing hope, and, and that you can even use the darkness to bring about the salvation of the world, just as you did with the cross. So today, O oh Lord, send us back out into the world, not as a people who are empty, who are lonely, who are dealing with our stuff, but as a people who have hope no matter how dark it may get, because we are a people of resurrection. 
It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.